Amen. I ask you to please this room and do what only and to uh, increase the faith of those of, us, those of us who do already believe. And so, Spirit, come and do that, I pray. I ask you to take the preaching of your word and to match it with the power of your spirit so that our hearts would be on fire in belief and in love and in joy for Jesus Christ. So do that in this brief time together, I pray, from the youngest child in this room to the oldest adult. Meet us and speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. No Genesis. No, there's only one way for me to receive that. And it's not, it's not against God's word. It's against the preacher. Yeah, I tried to figure out a way to get Sodom and Gomorrah to work for Easter Sunday and thought, <laughs> let's just take a break. All right, so if, you've, if you're using one of the Bibles that are on the chairs, what page is it on? You find it? Is anybody using those Bibles? Maybe everybody has your own Bible. That's fine. 1014. I know First Peter can be hard to find. It's a little and tucked away near the back. You also, I hope, got a little yellow piece of paper. That is for you to take with you this week. That's kind of going to be the punch of today, although it's not everything um, that I'm going to preach from. But that at least gets us into part of it. So before I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, I just want to make a statement that I believe is true, and it is this. What makes the church supremely unique is that we are a blood-bought, resurrected people who believe, love, and rejoice in the resurrected Christ. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes the church unique. We are unique because we are blood-bought. We are resurrected people, and we believe, love, and rejoice in the resurrected Christ. And that is what First Peter here has to say to us. So listen as I read to you these verses, beginning in verse 3 of First Peter chapter 1. Blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Though you have not seen him, oh, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Now, these verses can very easily be sliced right in half. 
The first three verses are all about what God has done, and then the next four are about what we do, how we respond to that. So just look, I'll show you really simply why I believe that's what this is saying to us. Look at verse 3. It says, according to his great mercy, he has. He has. He's going to tell us what he has done according to his great mercy. And then look at verse 6. This is our response. In this, you, and then he's going to tell us things we do. Does that make sense? So it's pretty easy to divide it up. Here's what God did. Here's how you respond. Here's what God is going to do and is doing. And here is what we do in response to that. So that's how we're going to kind of attack this passage this morning. We're going to see what God has done that makes verse 3, first line, true. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that he's done that makes Paul, Peter, say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. What is it that makes him worthy of praise? So we're going to see this morning what it is that we are supposed to praise him for. We're going to be called to praise him, church, to bless him, to adore him, because of certain things that we're going to see him doing. So let's look at them. First one, because we are going to praise him and bless him because of his great mercy. Because of his great mercy, or literally could read his large mercy, his abundant mercy. Mercy. God's mercy is abundant. His mercy is large. Now, God's mercy is how God responds when he sees people in need, when he sees people suffering, when he sees people in trial, and then he moves towards them to meet their need. Listen, his need is, his response to your need is never based on how good you are, or it wouldn't be mercy. You would earn it and deserve it. So his mercy is simply his responding to his own character to show mercy to people when they find themselves in a time of need. It's one of his attributes. It's who who he is as God. So so know this, that everything else that we're going to praise him for is all linked to his mercy. Undeserving. We don't deserve any of the things he's about to tell us he's going to do. That doesn't make him worthy of praise and not us worthy of praise. So let's see what these three things are. There's three things that God does out of mercy. So the second thing I'm going to praise him for this morning is I bless him. I praise him for in his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And the reason we bless him, we're going to bless him, church, for that, is because we were dead And we had dead hope. We were dead and we had no hope. So we bless him because he makes us born again to a living hope. So there's a reason to to praise him. A a reason to bless him for what he has done. Listen, our, our greatest need, or at least one of our greatest needs, is that we need to be born again because we were born dead. We were born spiritually blind, in darkness, dead, without life. Yes, our physical body was breathing and moving, but spiritually, we were not alive. Paul tells us in Ephesians that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul tells in Romans that the wages of sin is death. So we were dead in our sin and in our trespasses. And then along comes God, and he makes us born again. He makes us born again to a living hope out of his great mercy. I don't know if you, if you recognize your great need for mercy. I don't know if you recognize when you need to be born again or for renewed hope. 
Maybe you find yourself this morning in a place where you would really love to be able to have some hope. Maybe life feels hopeless to you. Well, Jesus comes along, and he wants to give living hope to you as he makes you born again. Now, born again is a strange word that has been abused and thrown under the bus way too many times and and misused and misunderstood. Being born again is when God takes you in your dead state and he takes your blindness and he takes your, your denial of him and he flips them all upside down and he gives you brand new life and he makes your spirit and your soul come alive to him to see things you had never seen before. Some of you guys remember Jesus had an encounter with, with Nicodemus. You guys remember the story? And he says, Nick, you got to be born again. And he gives that puzzled look on his face like, how does that happen? And so Jesus begins to explain to him what it means to be born again. And he says, it's, it's like the wind, Nicodemus. The wind blows. You feel it. You have no idea where it came from. That's what it's like when the Spirit blows on you. You're not going to understand it completely, but you know it happens. You can't see it, but you can feel its effect. That's what happens when you are born again, Nicodemus. And then Jesus goes on to say to Nicodemus, it's similar to the story of Moses in the Old Testament, where the people get stung by the, bit by the snake, and so Moses puts up a cross, a stick, and he puts a serpent on there, and he says, if you look at it, you won't die. If you look at it, you'll live. And Jesus says, just like that, if you look at me on the cross, if you look at me dying, you'll be born again. So the call to be born again although it's all God, is a call for us to look to Jesus on the cross. It's to turn and to gaze our eyes on him as our Savior, as our only hope. So this morning, I just ask you, have you been born again? It's only a question you can answer. Have you encountered the living and risen Christ in such a way that you know something's changed? I can't put my finger on it, but something's new, something's different. If you have, then you have much to celebrate. And if you haven't, I encourage you to look to Christ on the cross. To spend time this week on that, reading that little yellow card over and over again and let the truth impact your soul. So with this new life, he makes you born again. And then what does he do? He gives you an inheritance. So third thing, we bless him. Praise him, Christ Church. Adore him, for in his great mercy, he has given us an inheritance. He has given you an inheritance. If you look at verse 4, he says this. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. I don't know if any of you guys have ever received an inheritance from someone. We've begun to learn what that's like a little bit. And let's just say that some of the things you receive in your inheritance aren't unfading, imperishable, or unblemished. Have you ever been there where you're sorting through items that you've inherited, wondering what you're going to do with them? I think most often as I've talked with different people who have inherited things, they say most of the things they inherit end up in a dumpster. They don't end up keeping them. And then the stuff they do keep eventually ends up in a dumpster anyway. Just like everything you own will end up one day in a dumpster, right? That's the point. And so God comes along and says, look, I'm going to give you an inheritance 
that will never perish or fade or rust or break or crack or rot or fall apart. It will last forever. I need that shirt that's underneath your chair. Uh, boo, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, sorry, it's my fault, Phil. Yeah, you did. All right, so this is one of my favorite shirts. <laughs> Come on, you men have shirts like this, don't you? Come on, the one you've had forever. And you're like, no, you can't throw it away. I'll wear it sometime, mowing the lawn, or I don't know where. And really, what's it good for? It's good for a shop rag, and that's about it right? But, but what an example of blemished, faded, ripped. This is where everything you own is headed. Sorry for the bad news. This is it. And so God knows that. And he knows you can't hope in anything you have because none of it is going to be eternal. It's all going to perish. It's all going to fade. It's all going to go away. And says, look, I'm going to give you an inheritance that will last for eternity, one that never dies, one that won't perish, one that's not defiled by sin, one that will never fade, one that moth and rust will not destroy. It will last forever. And he says he's keeping it in heaven for you. I mean, you got to slow down and read these little phrases. He's keeping it in heaven for you. Do, do you picture, you ever let your sanctified imagination run wild a little bit and wonder, all right, what's he keeping for me? What, what's part of my inheritance that he's keeping for me, that he's preserving for me, so that when I get there, I will experience it? It says he's not only keeping it, it says he's guarding it with his power. So God is extending energy right now, this very second, right now, God is releasing energy to keep and preserve your inheritance. That is pretty cool. So you put your hope in that because God's able to keep that inheritance alive because it's a living hope that you have in your inheritance. So, so we praise him, church. We exalt him. We rejoice in him because he's given us a eternal inheritance. And then last week, lastly, he says that he's keeping that until the day of salvation. He says, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's a day coming when your salvation will be complete and he is going to give you this inheritance. It's going to become yours officially from his hand. And he does that as he saves you. So all of us in this room this morning, we need to be saved from something and we need to be saved for something. You need to be saved from something and for something. You need to be saved from your sin. You need to be saved from yourself. I need to be saved from my own sinful nature that makes a wreck out of my life. I need to be saved from the death, from death and the penalty that is due my sin, eternal punishment. I need to be saved from the wrath of God that I deserve. I mean, this, is what, this is what we should live with every day. I, I know that is what I deserve. I need to be saved from those things. And then I also need to be saved for something. I need to be saved for a future salvation with blessings. Saved for an inheritance. Uh, saved for an eternal life on a new earth where nothing will ever break. Where there'll be no crying, no pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no more problems. Eternity on a new earth and a new heaven 
where there's no, nothing that will ever, ever blemish. So God does all of this for us. So we, we praise him for his great mercy. We exalt in him because he's made us born again. We rejoice in him for the eternal inheritance that he's given us. And we honor him for his salvation. And then Peter tells us in verse 3 where this all comes from. Where does it come from? How do we get it? So look at verse 3 with me. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's Easter, so I had to get there. You wondered when it was coming. There it is. How do I get those things? How do I get great mercy? How do I get born again? How do I get this inheritance? How do I get saved? Well, it all happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if you're a thinker, you're asking, well, how does that work? How, how do I get this resurrection? How do I get this, these four blessings through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How does it happen? Well, I think the clearest answer and the shortest answer is in Romans 6, verses 5 through 8 where it says this, If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I, I think the way this works is that you are born again through the resurrection because you are united to Christ. You receive an inheritance because you are united to Christ. So through his resurrection, you get the inheritance. You get saved. You get his great mercy. It happens through the resurrection from the dead. It's through our union with Christ. So I want to illustrate this for you. And some of you think you know what I'm going to do, but you don't. <laughs> so I've done this before. Typically what I do when I do this is I say, this is you, everybody see you, and this is Jesus. It's not really him. Just make sure we're on the same page. <laughs> Kids, this is really not. And we say, this is sin, this represents sin, and we've got sin. This is how we usually tell the story. And then Jesus lives on earth, and he never sins. He does everything God's word tells him to do, and he doesn't do anything God's word tells him not to do. So he lives perfect. We don't. Then Jesus goes to the cross as the perfect lamb of God. As he's hanging there, he takes our sin and he bears it on his body, on the tree. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then Jesus dies on the cross. He forgives us, but that leaves us morally neutral, and so we need his righteousness. So Jesus gives us our righteousness, and he clothes us in it, so now we're justified, because to be justified, you have to not only be forgiven of your sin, but you have to be clothed in his righteousness. And so now you are a child of God. When the Father looks down, he sees you as he sees Christ, perfect and without blame. But I'm not going to do that this morning. <laughs> what I am going to do this morning is this. I am going to say we are united to Christ. So in our union with Christ, we become one with him. So that when Jesus goes to the cross... Technically, theologically, really, you go with him. So when Jesus died, that's what that verse says, you died. So you can go around to people and say, you know what? I already died once and came back to life. And they're going to look at you like you're nuts. And then you can tell them what you mean. 
Because when Christ died, you died. You really died. You already died. Death, where's your sting? It's gone. I already died. And then what happened? You went down in the grave with Jesus, and you lie there dead with him. And then when he rose from the dead, guess what you did? You rose with him because you're united to Christ. And when you rose, rose with him, all of your sin was defeated and destroyed and left behind and paid for. And the only thing that's left is his righteousness on you. And that's it. You are raised with Christ. So that is really the resurrection story. That is the union you have with Christ. The, the doctrine of the union of Christ has meaning when you wake up tomorrow morning. You can say, I died to my sins when Christ died. I have been cleansed. They're gone. The penalty is paid. And when Jesus rose, I rose to newness of life. This is what it means to be born again. I was born again. I was dead with Christ, and now I'm born again to new life, forgiven, clothed in righteousness, and now an heir to the kingdom of God forever and ever. And that's what it says in the next verse I'm going to show you from Romans. Is it Romans? Thank you, Ephesians. But we, but God... And so look at the parallels between what Peter writes and what Paul writes here. This is Paul. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. So he's rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So where are you right now? You're in heaven. You're here and you're there. You're here in Mount Airy right now, but you're also seated in heaven and you're not bipolar. It's just true. You're in both places. You are seated with Christ. In heaven. And then in the coming ages, he's going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. In other words, everything we just talked about and everything you read in God's word, it just cracks the door open a little bit. And when you get there, he's going to show you how much more immeasurable those riches of his grace are in your salvation. And that's why Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless him, praise him, because in his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is why we respond the way we do in the second part, where he says in verse 6, in this, oh, you rejoice. I mean, how can you not think about those first three verses and not rejoice? So he goes right at it, like, rejoice! Think about it. You've got to rejoice. And then he adds this little parenthesis in there. I also know that there's times of trial and there's times of grieving and there's times of suffering. I love how, how God has Peter just care for us. Because you could be sitting here this morning thinking, it's hard to rejoice. Maybe it's really hard for you to rejoice this morning. And so God, out of care for you, says this. In this you rejoice, verse 6, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are being grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God knows that trials are real, 
that suffering is real, that life is hard, and he knows that we are going to grieve. Grieving is okay. I don't know, maybe some of you are told that Christians are never sad. It's not true. In fact, I think we're always sad, and we're always rejoicing. You can't live on this earth and not be sad. You can't. You can't turn the news on for five seconds and not be sad. You can't take a walk and see people in need and not be sad. You can't evaluate your friend's situations and not find yourself grieving. I think we, we as Christians need to embrace two realities. We're grieving, yet always rejoicing. Sad, life is hard, but always rejoicing. I think the two are meant to go hand in hand, Christians. We should be the happiest people on earth as we grieve in sadness over so many things that are happening in our lives and in our friends' lives. And, and God tells us here the purpose of it. Yes, you grieve, but it's to test your faith. And then he says, at the end of the day, after your taste, test, faith has been tested and you persevere through it, it says that he, God, I can't go into the details of why I believe it says this, but this is what it's saying, God is going to praise and glorify and honor you for how you endured suffering. You are going to receive praise from God. He's going to look at you and say, well done. Well done. Well done enduring the suffering. Well done the way you grieved through that trial. Well done. He's going to honor you for that. And then, of course, we're going to say, and thank you for the mercy that allowed me to do it. <laughs> thank you for the grace and the strength that allowed me to do it. And we're going to turn it right back around on him, but he is going to honor you. And that's the reason we struggle with trials now. So our te- faith can be tested so that we can come out the other side more in love with Jesus Christ, which is why he turns now, verses 8, just verse 8 to the end here, and he gives us two more things that we are to do. And I'm going to link those together with the first one. So there's three. You read it. This is what it says, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an inexpressible joy. That, that's who we are. So I love the three words. Love, believe, rejoice. We love him, we believe in him, and we rejoice in him. And I think someone who loves and believes and rejoices in Jesus and the one they have not seen praises him when they get through those trials that are so hard in life. Because the trials are real. I think it's fun that Peter says here, you love him even though you've not seen him. And though you do not see him now, you still love him. Because we know what people think of adults who have friends they can't see. (laughs) And we have places for people to put them where they won't hurt themselves when they have friends they can't see. Right? It's cute when kids have friends they can't see. But when adults have friends they can't see, that's a whole other problem, isn't it? But we do, don't we? Because if you've been born again, you can actually believe, love, and rejoice in someone you've never seen. You've never seen him, but you rejoice in him. I mean, we were blowing the roof off this place 30 minutes ago singing to someone you've never seen. Praising someone you've never seen. Rejoicing in someone you've never seen. Because you are seeing him. You're seeing him with the eyes of your soul, aren't you? 
Maybe not with your physical eyes. And isn't that what it means to be a Christian, to be born again? I think when you have been born again, we believe, love, and rejoice more in things we can't see than in things we can see. Even when you're rejoicing in something you can see, ultimately it just gets me to the one I can't see. I see the beautiful sunset. Oh, I can look at that sunset, love it, rejoice in it, but ultimately all it does is point me to the one who created the sunset. I believe in him. I can't see him. Right? You hold that new baby in your arms, right? And you're like, wow, I, I can rejoice in this baby. I love this baby. But all this baby does is it reminds me of a creator who is amazing, and it makes me just believe in him more. It just directs him to him. This afternoon when you're eating your ham dinner, whatever it is you're going to have, and your taste buds are having fun and you're enjoying the food, it's meant to point you. I, I love the food. I'm rejoicing in the food. But it makes me believe in God more that he would give us taste buds and food like this. What kind of God creates an earth like this with taste buds and food and smells for us to enjoy? So I believe in him. I praise him because of who he is and because of what he has done, even though I cannot see him. And so, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we bless, we praise, we adore, we exalt in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead because of his great mercy that has come to us. We believe, love, and rejoice in the fact that we've been born again to a living hope. We rejoice with inexpressible joy for the inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, and kept in heaven for us. Do you feel that? Do you feel that inability to express the joy because it's so bottled up? Have you been there like, I just can't express it, and you don't know how? That's the Spirit of God in you, giving you that joy that is inexpressible over the inheritance, over being born again, over his great mercy that he has revealed to us. So, we are a people, and may we continue to grow to be a people who believe in the resurrected Christ, who love the resurrected Christ, and rejoice in the resurrected Christ. And may that be your story from this day until the day that you see Jesus face to face, till the day he is revealed, to the day he shows you your inheritance. May you believe in him, love him, and rejoice in him. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to sing another song, or two, or five, I don't know. <laughs> Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of believing we thank you for the gift of being born again so that we can say with inexpressible joy that we believe in you, we love you, and we rejoice in you. And we recognize that the gift of our salvation, of being able to see and to be alive this morning, is all a gift from you. And we ask, Lord, that you would send your spirit to make many more born again from the youngest to the oldest in this room, from the youngest to the oldest who can hear my voice, from the youngest to the oldest on this earth right now that are hearing the resurrection story preached somewhere or read somewhere, we pray that you would unleash a great wave of making people born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Would you do that, we pray. And we ask you to help us, God. Help us, even now as we sing. May, may we... If we haven't already, embark on a journey to figure out how to express 
inexpressible joy. <laughs> Help us to grow in that. Help us to grow in saying, this joy is too great to be contained, but I don't know how to fully express it. And may we learn how to express it because you are worthy of it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.